Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. ...of God's Word this morning. Turning your attention today to the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter number 2. How many is glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Well, that was weak. Let's try that again. How many is glad to be in God's house today? Amen. Amen. That was a little bit better. Thank you. There's no place I'd rather be on a Sunday morning. Oh yeah, I can think of plenty of things that I could do. I could get up and I could have my my lazy Sunday morning brunch and sip on my coffee and read the newspaper, social media. (laughs) Catch up on the news from when I went to bed last night. See what the world is doing and have my relaxing day. Sure, I could do that. Matter of fact, I can do that. There's not one single thing stopping me today except for desire. And I want to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 1 Chronicles 2 and verse number 13. The Bible says, And Jesse begat his firstborn, Eliab, and Abinadab the second, and Shammah the third, and Nathanael the fourth, Radai the fifth, Ozem the the sixth, David, the seventh. For a few minutes this morning, I want to minister on a, on a subject. I've got to give just a little bit of a disclaimer today. Last weekend, last Sunday, pastor preached a fabulous message on not comparing your step in the process a few weeks ago, before that ever even surfaced, I wrote down in my, my journal, Bishop, during devotions, this thought today, and it came to me this week, and I don't know if it connects to last weekend or not, I'll leave that to you and God to, to decide, but I want to talk to you this morning on the danger of comparison. The danger of comparison. Look at your neighbor this morning and tell him God's good. You may be seated today. The Lord bless you for standing. Eliab was the oldest. He possessed the physical stature of a stately king. He was the first of eight sons to be called by his father Jesse to come home and to come before the prophet Samuel to see if he would be the one whom God had anointed to be Saul's replacement. Surely, 
With his size and his stature, he would become the Lord's anointed. On seeing Eliab, Samuel was even convinced at first glance when he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord spoke to Samuel that he had refused Eliab. Then we move on to the next born, Abinadab. The same situation happened as it did with Eliab. And on seeing Abinadab, the Lord spoke to Samuel that he had refused him also. Shema, the Lord spoke to Samuel that neither had the Lord chosen him. Nathanael, he was also not God's chosen. Radai, the fifthborn, he was also not God's chosen. Ozem, the sixthborn, he was also not God's chosen. Now there's a seventh son that doesn't get talked about much and we don't even know his name. It's likely that he died somewhere between 1 Samuel and 1 Chronicles, but we also know in 1 Chronicles 2.15 that there were seven sons that passed before David, and this seventh son also was not God's chosen. Then we get to the eighth son. We're actually, actually, before we even get to the eighth son, we know that's about to happen as the reader. But in the moment, we find in 1 Samuel 16 and 11, and Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth sheep. Now, I want you to notice here for just a moment that Samuel has asked Jesse, bring your sons. But he didn't bring them all. For whatever reason, maybe in Jesse's own mind, Jesse decided for himself, David doesn't qualify David doesn't fit the stature of his brothers. There's absolutely no, no way that a 15-year-old harp player on the backside of a sheep hill is going to qualify to be the king, so I'm not even going to bring him to the house. I'm just going to bring those that I think are good enough. And they weren't. Now, Jesse says, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is Really? Seven tall men, physical, natural specimens. What Aiden thinks he is. Yeah, he's kissing the gun. Came before the prophet. And God said, not him. 
to the point that it exposes that daddy didn't even care enough to include his young bo- youngest. And the one who nobody in present company thought would even be, it's a waste of time to bring him to the house. I'm not wasting the prophet's time with bringing him because there's just no way. And when he comes and he stands before Samuel, the first words out of Samuel's mouth, at the prompting of what God told him, was arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brethren. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. These events likely didn't do David any favors in the sons of Jesse's club. I can only imagine, I, was, I am the youngest of two. Now my script doesn't match David's. But I can only imagine the difficulties that would occur if I had seven older brothers, all whom were vying for the same thing, and I didn't even ask for it, and was somehow chosen. David wasn't even of age. The first king of Israel, Saul, was technically still on his throne. God had rejected him, but he was still on his throne. God had removed his anointing from Saul. And not only had his anointing been removed, but because of his power-hungry authority issues, the Bible also tells us that an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. So Saul's fate had already been sealed. It was put in an envelope, sealed, stamped. It was just waiting to be mailed. Saul's end time was pending. While things did not look good for Saul, things were likely, and this is my own, my own imagination today, but things were likely getting worse or at least more challenging for the young boy David. The youngest of Jesse's sons had been anointed to be the king of Israel. The little boy who spends his days daydreaming about being the next harp player and singer on Israel's Got Talent. Some of you will catch that in a minute. Who spent his days tending to the family sheep because it was a job nobody else wanted to do. So give it to the youngest. The oldest, Eliab, possibly got the pick job. Whatever the chore list was, Eliab was first, Abinadab was next, and the list goes on and David got whatever was left. And whatever was left was tending to the old nasty, stinky sheep. David tended to the sheep like an expert. David tended sheep so much that it allowed a channel to open up between him and God to write songs and to write psalms that we read about today. Things that encourage us today. David's, David's discouragement on the backside of a hill hugging a, the neck of a sheep is what we lean on today for encouragement in times of difficulty. We've said, I've said it, pastors said it, bishops said it. We've all said it at times. If you're going through something, open up the book of Psalms. 
If, if you need encouragement, get out Psalms. If you're going through difficulties in life, get, get out Psalms. I have had seasons of my adult life. I'll be honest with you today. The only thing I read was Psalms. Because that was the bread that I needed in that moment to sustain me for another day. Those Psalms, many of them, were written on those hillsides. As David, the young boy, the young anointed one who has not yet taken his throne but has already been decided by Almighty God that he would be the next king of Israel. That boy is who we often look to for encouragement. Surely, surely Eliab thought that the old man, prophet, messed up and missed what God was. Surely he didn't, surely there was a communication issue in, my, in his Cat5 cable that hooked up to his internet between him and God. Surely the communication did not come through clearly. Surely he did not hear from God right because there was no way that his kid brother, seven brothers down the line from him would be chosen over him to take the highest post in all of Israel and lead the people of God. There's absolutely no way. One brother after another, as Samuel, by the voice of God, rejected them for the post of Israel's king until he saw the boy, David. Now, I know that this is a familiar story to some of us, and to some of us perhaps it's not, and that's fine. So I want to remind us or allow you to understand for the first time today that it was not about David's looks. little red-faced boy going through puberty. Possibly had a zit on the end of his nose. You know, one of those that's about ready to... Red all swollen up. Yes, Samuel, what do you want? Voice cracking like a ten-year-old girl. wasn't about his looks. It wasn't about his size. His stature was not great. His stature was not that of his equal to Eliab. I believe the Bible tells us that King Saul stood head and shoulders above the people. I don't know Eliab's measurement compared to Saul, but in reading this, I draw the conclusion that he was similar in stature. Because even Samuel, when he saw his physical nature, believed he qualifies to be the king. Just looking at him made him believe that he qualified to be the king. But it wasn't about the look. It wasn't about David's educational status. And at 15 years old, the adults in the room can at least agree that it wasn't about the list of experiences that he had had. And I'm not trying to diminish the list of experiences that our young people have gone through in their life because some young people have likely been through things that I, I will never go through. And I want to be sensitive to that today. But there was nothing physical dare we say, nothing obvious about looking at David to cause the onlooker to believe 
That's going to be the next king. God saw something in David that only God could see. It reminds me, Bishop, of the song that we used to sing. He saw not what I was, but he saw what I could be. I've come to tell somebody this morning that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your looks. He doesn't see your paycheck. He doesn't see your size. He doesn't see your educational status. God sees what you can be. There's evidence in Eliab's response, when David visited the battleground, when Israel had gone to the battlefront, when Goliath was flexing his chest and his armor, and he was daring any of the Israelites to come before him. They had been there for 40 days. And at 40 days, not one man had dared to oppose Goliath. Eliab and Abinadab and the other brothers whose names I'm done repeating were there. David was not there. David was still home tending sheep. David takes food to his brothers. And David arrives at the battlefront and he sees all of these men and his brothers cowered down on the Israeli side of the battlefront doing nothing. So Eliab, in his response to the kid who was chosen over him to be king, not wanting to admit his cowardice, decides that instead of defending his post or explaining what's happening, decides that he would try to turn the situation around on David. David was innocent in the matter. We know this as the reader. But Eliab then begins to accost David by telling him that he knows the naughtiness of his heart. That he's only used food as an excuse to get down to the battlefront to see what's happening. You're just nosy, David. You're, you don't belong here. Why are you here, David? You're not big enough to carry armor. You don't belong. Go on, David. You're just down here because you just want to check the situation out. You're just nosy, but you don't belong here. And David... The boy who would eventually become a man who has been anointed to be God's man over Israel looks with the maturity of a king and his response to Eliab was is there not a cause? There was a cause in front of them and we know the story at that time. At that time, David the little David, 
the ruddy-faced countenance, pimple-nosed David who can't wear the armor because it's too heavy for him and it's dangling off of his shoulders and it won't fit because he don't have enough bicep to feel it. That David says, I will face the giant. I've come to remind someone or to tell someone something this morning and that is there are plenty of situations in our life where we face people. Sometimes it's family members. Sometimes it's constituencies. Sometimes it's people that we declare that we thought were friends. But we face people in our circle of life that want to put us in a corner and say, you don't belong here. You're not good enough to be here. You shouldn't be here. I know why you're here, but your your heart is wrong. Your spirit, you, I've come to tell somebody today that God sees your heart. God sees your life. And the same God that stood behind David and allowed David to become a victor is the same God that stands behind you today to say, get in the presence of God. You belong here. kid who was chosen over Eliab and his brothers to be king showed up and the jealousy and the anxiety of the older siblings surfaced possibly creating a flood of emotions for Eliab that in modern day terms would show us that Eliab was stuck in his own mind comparing himself to the boy wonder who was chosen over him to be anointed by God but what Eliab didn't realize was that God's decision was not a rejection of Eliab as a person. It was not a disapproval of Eliab as a person. God's decision was not about Eliab. God did not anoint David because he was a better person or be, it was be, but it was because it was God's divine direction for David's life. But if we fast forward to the 21st century and we put this message in modern day terms, it's about rejection. It's about survival. And it's about the danger of comparing my successes and my failures to the successes and failures of those around me. Eliab got lost in his rejection. Eliab got lost in comparing himself to the boy that was anointed over him. And after the battle with Goliath, we never hear about Eliab again. Now this isn't in the Word of God, and I'm not trying to add to it, but in my imagination today thinking this over in modern day terms I kind of believe that Eliab lost his opportunity because Eliab was too stuck in wanting something that God didn't want for him and we do ourselves harm today chasing ghosts and chasing things uh, mirages in the desert and illusions off in the future that God didn't design for us There have been plenty of things in my walk with God and in my growing up in the church that I wanted to do with my life. 
until I would discover one by one either directly through God in a season of worship or through uh, uh, the assistance of God through someone else. But Bishop, one by one, those things were confirmed not to be the will of God. Comparisons can be both positive and negative. They're only positive if they incite a willingness or passion to improve or become better. It's very difficult. Seems on the surface to not happen that often. Seems, however, the majority of comparisons are not only negative, but border on toxic. From the onset of social media, this toxicity seems to have worsened because we often forget that people most often put their best face on the Facebook and make their life look like something that no one can attain. And as the onlooker, innocently, we look at that and we long for that happiness. We long for that wealth or we long for that success or we long for that belonging that is fictional at best. We look at the best smile, the best relationships, the happiest couples that I would debate with you. Help me, Jesus. That the photo of the happiest couples is sometimes a deep fake. It's a photo of an image of what they want, not a representation of what they are. The shiniest cars, the best clothes. We look at all of it. We get enamored by it. Oh, that's great. Oh, I want that. Comparisons most often cause damage to one's self-esteem. Depression. Anxiety, feelings of worthlessness, feelings that you don't belong anywhere because you don't measure up to the things you compare yourself to. I'm talking about some things today that the adversary of your soul wants you to believe. Because if he can get you believing that you're worthless and get you in a state of depression and cause you to have social anxiety and make you feel like you don't measure up to the things that you compare yourself to, then he will isolate you. And in that isolation, he will win you. And he will remove you from the atmosphere and the presence of Almighty God. I've come to remind somebody this morning that you need to change what you're comparing yourself to. I need to measure up to Him. I need to compare myself to godly things. I need to compare myself to God's will for my life. Sibling comparisons, God help us. Youngest of two. And I love my brother. But I don't think there could be two people on the face of planet earth that are more different than him or me. 
And that doesn't make him bad and me good. We're just different. Our interests are different. Our personalities are different. I was a freshman in high school. Taking Spanish class. Now, I'm not proud of this. But I wasn't a model student. I said I was a freshman in high school. All right. Probably 14 years old. So before you judge me, give me a little slack and remember that you were 14 once too. And if you're 14 today, do not follow my pattern. I was not a model student. And I had likely did some activity that caught the teacher's attention. I don't really remember what it was, but I know it caught her attention. And she stood about three foot nothing, glasses about two inches thick, and it slid down her nose. <laughs> and I couldn't tell if she was sitting or standing, but I think she stood up. <laughs> she looked. Mr. Mason, why can't you be more like your brother? What happened next didn't go so well. I won't tell you all of the events because, like I said, I'm not proud of it. But I did end up in the hallway waiting to see if the assistant principal would walk by. I don't know if they still give demerits or not, but those of you that are my age probably remember what that is. It's a penalty. It's a representation that you've done something that's not so good. And she was not going to let me back in class without something from him saying that he had already met with me. But what upset me was not that my brother is a bad person or that being compared to him was necessarily a bad thing to be compared to. What upset me was that she was overlooking the fact that I'm an individual person and that I'm not him. That was the rub. Next year, I had another teacher whom I did not call attention to. But because I was not understanding the material that she was doing, and as a teacher, I feel confident in saying this, she was doing an ill-prepared job of teaching a very difficult subject that was not my strength. It happens to fall into the wheelhouse of my brother who is extremely smart and educated in all things mathematics. Me? Not so much. It's a job. And I was not understanding the material. And 
she came to me one day. Now, it was in front of the class. Now, she was trying to be a little bit more discreet about it. She was standing at my desk when she said these things, but with vile venom in her tone, looks at me and says, I just don't understand how you and your brother can be so much different. He got the material. Now that, those two things, they did not rock my world. They upset me. But there are people in our lives that have been through far greater. Far worse. That have rocked their world. That have shaped their realities. Comparisons <clears throat> can be dangerous. Comparisons can mess with you. Mentally, socially. There are even studies that show, and I read one of them last night, that, that shows that our behavior can shape our brain, and then our brain shapes our response. So the way that we can behave under duress or anxiety can often shape the reality of our brain's response to how we should behave and then it becomes a vicious cycle where that becomes our life, that becomes our understanding and that's just who I am and I'm stuck. We often compare ourselves to other people's successes, the sizes of their house, their cars, their career progress, their job progression, their salary level, their education status, their physical health. What that did for me as a young, young, I wasn't an adult and I wasn't a child. I was stuck somewhere in between. But what that did for me is I often found myself comparing myself intellectually to people similar to my brother. And so I did not measure up to them because I was not like them. So I made a statement to my dad one day riding to school and I don't remember exactly what my statement was but I made some type of statement in reference that I was not as good as my brother because I didn't get straight A's and I was not as good as my brother because I did not fully understand all the likes of geometry and physics and, and, and trigonometry and all of the other ometries that exist. And I remember my dad saying, well, that's funny, because I get the same story from your brother. How? Because he thinks you can pick up a musical instrument and just play it, because it comes easy. Well, I don't feel like that's the case, but that was his argument. But it changed my way of thinking. To understand, for if for nothing but a brief moment, that the act of my comparing myself, let me, re, let, me, let me say it this way, it gave me an understanding that everybody has a comparison. And we often lock ourselves into a corner and think that we're all by ourselves. It's just me. I'm the only one in my situation. Sometimes 
it fosters a mindset that we end up wanting either what we can't have, what we shouldn't have, or completely overlooking God's will and purpose for our life. Because if it doesn't match my comparison to someone else and the image that I want to portray to the world, then I don't want anything to do with it. I've come to let somebody know today that God has got better for you. In an article published by Psychology Today, they said when you find yourself envious of what someone else has and feel jealous, inferior, or inadequate as the result, you're having a ne negative social comparison moment. Habitual negative social comparisons can cause a person to experience greater stress, anxiety, depression, and make self-defeating choices. I want somebody to hear me loud and clear today that David wrote to us about a God who knows all, who sees all, and believe it or not, He understands all. I want to walk you through Psalms 139 and a few verses today as I start trying to bring this to a close this morning. To the chief musician of Psalm of David, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down city and mine upright. You know when I'm up and when I'm down. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There's not a thing, O Lord, that you don't know. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Is there a place that I can go to get away from you, God? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall, watch it now, shall thine hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. He's leading and he's holding in times where you don't even know it. If I say, surely, the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be a light about me. Yea, the darkest hi darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. Watch this. Thou hast, this is that same David writing about the God that we're in the presence of today. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. So to the person that declares nobody understands, nobody's been where I'm at, God knows, God knows you're in from your beginning and He covered you in the womb. Don't get stuck in a comparison trap. God's got better for you. There are some people that, that come into the house of God. I have seen people in my life, 
my life and walk with God. I've seen some people in this church out over the last 25 plus years come into this house and get into the presence of God and it's all foreign to them and they've never felt anything like it and why they like what they feel. They do not believe they qualify for it. They do not believe that they are eligible to have the same Holy Ghost baptism that you and I have. I've done too much. My life has been too bad. I'm comparing myself to you and I do not deserve that. I've come to tell somebody in the Holy Ghost today that you deserve God's greatest just as much as the next person. You've not gone too far. You've not done too much. You've not thought too much. You've not had too much done to you that my God cannot deliver you because he covered you in your mother's womb. David closes out this paragraph of scripture and says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We live in a society today and I will not get political with you today but we live in a society that is posting confusion and doubt about who they are. David cleared it up for us. I'm not like my brother. I'm not smart. I'm not the intellectual type. I didn't get straight A's on my grade card. I must be worthless. I must not have a future set out before me because I can't follow the same path. God never asked you to follow the same path. God's got a path specifically designed and anointed for you. I'm not a singer. That's all right. Lift your hands in the congregation and make a joyful noise to the Lord. I'm not a musician. That's all right. You've got 10 string instruments everywhere you go. You've got an instrument that you can use to pray. Lift your hands in the sanctuary. You've got an instrument that you can use to praise. If you can't play a piano or a guitar or a set of that's all right. That doesn't make you less. That means God's got a different path for you. I'll never stand up behind a pulpit. I must not be worth anything. Absolutely not. That's a trick of the enemy today. There are plenty of things because this pulpit is meaningless if my life outside of it doesn't match up. There are plenty of things today that you and I can do if we would only stop comparing ourselves to the socially accepted things that we expect people to want from us. Because I was covered in my mother's womb. God knew I wouldn't get geometry. God knew I wouldn't get straight A's. But God, what he wanted from me was that I would give my best to the giftings and the callings which God had brought to my life. Somebody lift your hands and say, thank you, Jesus, today. Oh, somebody lift your hands and call on the name of the Lord together. God has got a path for you. Some musicians would come this morning. I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Stand with me this morning. I 
I look at these young men today. Skinny, 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 skinny. I don't measure up. That's what our society teaches us. Curly, whatever else that is. <laughs> yeah. I don't measure up. That's what society teaches us. Hold on to me for a little bit. I couldn't grow that if I tried for 75 years. It's just not in there. And if I did grow it, it'd be so low on my face, it'd look like it was coming out of my neck. You look good. But society teaches, if you're a man and you can't do this, you're less of a man. I've heard it. When I worked in the factory, Bishop, I was told that. Well, you're going to be a boy the rest of your life then. Because society tries to dictate our behavior and our pathway. Because if you don't fit the mold of what society expects, then just step aside because you don't fit. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I'm talking to somebody today. We need to get over what society is trying to tell us and get what God is trying to tell us. It's a dangerous trap to fall into the comparisons of this age because the comparisons of this world will never make room for Jesus. It's not cool to go to church. Well, I don't know if it is or if it isn't. But if that's our mentality... Being here is not going to do a whole lot for us to begin with. Because I don't come to church to fit some social norm. I come to church because I need God. And I don't want you to get confused behind uh, about the man holding this microphone today. I'm, well, I don't know how tall I am. I think I'm shrinking. But I'll just say I'm six foot flat, six foot tall, flat footed today, and I can be a mess. I don't have it all figured out just because I'm standing here holding this microphone today. I need God. And if I allow myself, I'll get lost into the comparison trap. I can't preach as good as my idols. I lived for years, years, more than what anybody knows because I refuse to talk about it. But I lived for years in a trap of anxiety when I would get around other church musicians. Because I couldn't play like them. 
And then it got worse when church musicians started getting more educated. And then they started talking a certain language about music. And I had no clue what they were talking about. Because all I did one day was sit down at a piano and start doing something that sounded okay. And then I got lost even more. And I got more afraid to, to play in front of somebody because I was scared to death that they would say, hey, how did you, what was that called? Because I didn't have a clue what it was called. It was called anointing is all I knew. But I never found security in God until I stopped comparing myself to others and realizing that whatever I am, good or, good or not good, whatever I am is what God made me to be. I'll try to be my best. I'll do everything I can do to be my best, but the rest is up to God. And if I'm doing what I can do to be my best, and that's what God wants for me, then it must be God's best for my life. I feel like I'm talking to someone today who's trapped in their own mind. I don't deserve this. I can't believe God would open an opportunity for me after all I've experienced and I've come to tell somebody this morning don't fall in that trap of comparison allow God to help you get out of that trap today because you sir you ma'am are fearfully and wonderfully made we're going to close with the song this morning and if in the close of this message and in the words of this song as we worship together this morning, this altar is open today. If you feel that God has ministered to you in some way, you are, you are invited today. You're, this altar is open for you to come and begin to pour your heart out to him and to talk to him today. Could we lift our hands together right now and magnify the name of Jesus together as we sing this morning? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.